Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this is Thanksgiving week. Um, it's my favorite holiday of the year. I mean, Easter obviously is a biggie, but uh, there's not presents involved, and it's, you know, food and family, football maybe, but uh, so hopefully you have a great Thanksgiving week this week. <laughs> We're in a series called Whispers, and it's about prayer. And we talked about prayer being a conversation with God, and when you have a conversation with someone, you listen as well as speak. And if you want to honor that person, you listen more than you speak. And so we're making the case that we should spend more time listening to God than, than actually talking to God, which is something that we're not used to. We don't know how to do it very well, so we're trying to, trying to help you with that. Um, last week, we gave you one of the voices of God, the primary voice of God, the primary way to hear God's voice, and that's through the Bible. We have his love letter to us. And anytime I want to hear from God, I got, all I got to do is open that book <laughs> and start reading. Um, but there's lots of other ways God communicates with us. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks and mention some of those. Don't have time to talk about all of them, but we're going to talk about uh, several. And today's, we're going to call the voice of the light. And this is one you probably normally don't think about. So um, that's one of the reasons we're going to talk about it. But I think it's really a biggie. It's really an important one. So when we talk about the light... <clears throat> Uh, what comes to mind? Let me give you something comes to mind for me. I'm a parent. I've been a, it's my oldest is 40 now, I guess. So I've been a parent for 40 years. And when our two oldest, Josh and Micah, were young, um, matter what age, kids often give you a gift for Christmas that they want more than any others. They usually give you a long list. But you can usually figure out and it'll tell you which is the one they really want. Now sometimes you can't afford it, so you can't get it. So uh, we didn't have a lot of money back then, but um, <clears throat> Josh and Micah had this, uh, they were called big wheels, I think they're called big wheels, He's the big wheel in the front, little wheels in the back, you sit close to the ground. Do they still have them? I don't know if they still have them. Um, but anyway, it, it couldn't be just anyone, it had to be a G.I. Joe big wheel. All right. And one reason I remember this is because I was up to like midnight putting those things together, they didn't come assembled. And they're not that hard to assemble, but I think I put some, did it something wrong the first time and I'd undo it and whatever. So when Christmas morning comes and they, you know, the kids walk out and they see that toy. For some girls, it might be a certain doll or whatever. Their faces at that point is my definition of delight. And so we got a picture, not of Christmas, but of Josh on his G.I. Joe <laughs> big wheel. And uh, so there's the light on that face, right? Um, but it's interesting, we did the night to shine. You saw the light on, well, those of us who are here on a hundred faces. Not just the, the, the special guests, but also the helpers. Eric, you were in the first picture. You were up here, you didn't see it. Pushing somebody in a in a wheelchair. Uh, as much joy as they had, I think we had as much, if not, uh, not more, ser serving them. So again, I would encourage you uh, to be part of that if you can. Now in Scripture, beginning of the Bible, God talks about creation, and every time he made something, he said it was good. <laughs> you know, he made light, it was good. He said, when he made mankind, he said it was very good. But that word, Hebrew word for good, can also be translated unspeakable joy or uh, pure delight. So God created us and he said, 
had this unspeakable joy, this pure delight. Uh, some of you might be familiar, depending on your church background, with the Westminster Catechism. Probably the most famous line uh, from that is this line here. Man, man's chief end is to glorify God. And we kind of get that. We understand that. If you're not a Jesus follower. You're trying to figure that out maybe. And we're glad that you're here. But for most of us, we understand our chief end is to glorify God. But that sentence doesn't end there. And the other part is the part that I think we shortchange. And to enjoy him forever. And if you talk to most people outside, people that aren't Jesus followers, would they describe being a Jesus follower as something that's enjoyable? Obviously not, or they would become one, right? So they, somehow we've given them the impression that it's not enjoyable. So let me ask you, how much do you enjoy God? How much do you spend, if I looked at your calendar, how much time do you spend in prayer and Bible study and church and ministry and all these things? Uh, most of us would be probably embarrassed because we spend time doing stuff we enjoy, right? So how much time? How much do you truly enjoy God? Now there's this Bible verse that talks about it. It's one of those misused Bible verses by a lot of wings of the church. So we're going to try and hopefully understand it correctly. It's in Psalm 37.4. It says, take delight. There's that word. In the Lord, it's um, specific, and then taking delight in the Lord, he will give you your heart's desires. Now, when some churches teach us, it's all about heart's desire. Whatever your heart's desire, God wants to give you. Is that what that verse says? No, it's not what that verse says. It says, take your delight in the Lord. In doing that, your heart's desires, God will give you because you're delighting in the Lord. Now, to delight in someone, you have to know them well. And that might be part of the problem. I delight in my wife. Our 42nd anniversary wedding anniversary is tomorrow. And so we've been together a long time. And so I delight in being in her presence. So how well do you know God? If you don't know him very well, you may not delight in him. <clears throat> now, when we talk about heart's desires, Especially in church, our, our, most of our thinking goes to negative, right? Sinful desires, lustful desires, <laughs> selfish desires. But there are negative ones, but there are also positive ones. And we can connect those when our heart's desires line up with our talents, our giftedness, things that we are good at. Let me give you an illustration. In 1924, Summer Olympics were in Paris. And a guy by the name of Eric Little specialized in 100 meters. And uh, he was on, uh, he's a Scotsman, I think. Um, so he was at the Olympics, and the 100 meters was going to be run on Sunday. And he was a Jesus follower, and part of his faith was he didn't believe he should run on Sunday. So he couldn't run in the 100 meters, especially the race he probably most surely would have won. So he ran in the 400 meters. Now, those of you who don't run, I don't know. For me, the 400 meters are probably the worst distance in the world to run. You basically got to run as fast as you can, not for 100 meters, but 400 meters, four times. Anyway, he, he, entered, he, he, he was entered in it. He wasn't favored. He was put in a bad lane, I think, the outside lane. 
He won the race, set the world record, set the Olympic record. It was under 48 minutes at that, uh, 48 seconds at that time. Um, anyway, they made a film of this guy. Some of you have probably seen it, Chariots of Fire. It's like my favorite film. <laughs> it's about a guy who was running and became a missionary. And I can relate to that. Uh, I didn't run professionally, but uh, uh, I've been a missionary. And I like to run. And so I'm going to show you a short clip. I love this clip that he tries to describe to his sister who thinks he should give up running to become the missionary uh, while he runs. I was excited. I'm going back to China. The missionary style is accepted. Oh, I'm so pleased. I've gone on running to do first. Jim. Jim, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. But he also made me and when I run, I feel this pleasure. Together up, we put a home of content. You will learn it. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. God made me for a purpose. For China, be a missionary China, but it also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I'm not very fast, but when I run, I feel his pleasure. We got three or four other runners here. Now, I'll tell you the same thing. For you, it might be something else, playing golf or, or something. Uh, I don't know. What gives you holy pleasure, righteous pleasure, good pleasure? Uh, contemporary preacher. Uh, his name John Piper. He retired recently. Uh, probably the most famous thing he ever said <laughs> is this statement here. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So are you satisfied in Jesus? We have this impression that God's kind of this cosmic killjoy. That's crazy. Is that the kind of God we serve? We serve a God of love and grace and mercy and and he wants what's best for us. And we, John 10, we talked about, he wants to give us a full and abundant life. That's, that's the life of being a Jesus follower. It's not a, a cosmic killjoy. It's just the opposite. The problem is, though, sometimes we listen to the wrong voices. We're not listening to God's voice. We're listening to the voice of culture, for example. Or the voice of someone that's, that's uh, is putting us down. Or an uh, unpleasable parent so what voice are you listening to? Are you listening to a voice that is encouraging to delight in the Lord? Or now that church stuff, God stuff is, is just killing all, spoiling all your fun. Now the way we can enjoy God is when our passions connect with our talent. And they did a, who was it, where was this? It was a study. It was, it was talented music students. That's what it was. And they're trying to figure out what was more important. Was it the passion for music or was it the ta- natural talent for music? And you know what the conclusion they came to? It was the passion. 
a student that had, was a gifted student, the one that had passion far surpassed the student that just had maybe superior talent. So the bottom line is do what you love. Do what you are wired to do. Do what God created you to do. And it's different for all of us. I understand that. Running's an interesting thing. People either love running or hate running. There's like no middle ground with people uh, with running. But do what you love. And your gifts should marry with your desires. And so we're going to look at a passage uh, that Paul wrote to a church in Rome. And he's trying to explain this, uh, this giftedness, this talent thing uh, to the people. But he starts off with a very familiar part to most of us in Romans chapter 12. So it's kind of a lead in. And he says it this way. Dear brothers and sisters. So he's writing to other Jesus followers. He said, I plead. That word plead could also mean beg. So this is a very strong, forceful word. I plead with you. I beg with you. To do what? To give your bodies to God. To give your life to God. This is a uh, decisive, can say that, decision. (laughs) Uh, don't, Don't straddle the fence. You know, one foot in, one foot out. He said, I plead with you. Be all in. Give your all to God. And he gives them a reason. He says, because of what all God has done for you. So all I have and all I am I give God the credit for any ability that I have, every breath that I take, every relationship I have, any knowledge that I have, my health that I have, it's, it's, it's all from God. And God loves me so much, he died for me. So in gratitude, and this is a week of thanksgiving, because of all he's done for you. You know the key to thanksgiving or thankfulness is joy. Things you're truly thankful for bring you joy. So I pray that you have a joyful thanksgiving. And then he goes on and says, God, because all God has done for you, let them, our lives, be a living and holy sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice like in the Old Testament. But you're going to sacrifice, but it's going to be living and holy, means set apart, the kind that he will find acceptable. Now that word acceptable means Delight his heart. So when you and I do that, when we're all in, this being a Jesus follower thing, it brings God delight. It delights his heart. He said, this is truly a way to worship him. You want to figure out how to worship him? We call this worship what we do on Sunday morning. But the truly way to worship him 24-7 is to be all in as a Jesus follower. So then he goes on. The next verse is a pretty familiar one also. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. One translation says, squeeze you into its mold. So we, we're supposed to be different, set apart. Uh, we're not supposed to fight against culture. We're supposed to influence culture. But we're not supposed to let culture influence us. He says, let God transform you into a new person. So this is a, uh, a transformation from the inside out. This is a progressive thing. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, it starts with that stepping across the line and into a relationship with God, but then it, it continues as long as we're <laughs> breathing. And he says, he does this by changing the way you think. So our mind should be transformed. We should think differently. We should think of being a Jesus follower as a joyful thing, not a, not a, uh, a killjoy. Then he says, then you will learn to know God's will, so you'll be able to hear what God's trying to tell you, wants for you, 
which is good and pleasing and perfect. That word pleasing means satisfying. That word we said about satisfying. And then he gives them a warning, which is kind of interesting. He's writing again to a church. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, so he's in a position that he can give a warning to these folks. He's, he's like their pastor. Do not think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluations of yourself and measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. Now we have two streams. We have people that are prideful and boastful and we have people that have low self-esteem. And he's saying, be honest. And the best way you and I can determine our worth, our self-worth, our self-esteem is by our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I am of value, intimate value, because Jesus died for me, not because I'm such a great person and do such great things or a great preacher or anything else. It's all based on my relationship to Jesus. So he said, be sure you get a proper valuation of yourself. You shouldn't have low self-esteem, you shouldn't, but you shouldn't be prideful either. Then he uses a, an illustration that's pretty easy to understand, I think. He uses an illustration of a body. He says, our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So my ears do the hearing, my nose does the smelling, my eyes do the seeing, etc. We have different parts. My ears can't smell, eyes can't hear. All right, so that's easy to understand. We all figure that, can figure that out. So he says, so it is with Christ's body. Now Christ's body is a church, or either a local church like this, or a big church, worldwide church. We are many parts, but one body. And we belong to each other. We are mutually dependent upon each other. We are interconnected. And my part, my, my function is to provide my function for the rest of the parts. So my ears hear from my whole body. And so whatever parts you have, and we're gonna, he's going to give us some examples of parts, and it comes from God. I didn't decide what part to get. God decided what part it is, and, and we're all different. So he goes and gives us some examples of body parts, if you will. We call them gifts or talents. In his grace, of course, God is g- gracious gifts. They're given to us freely. We didn't choose them. Uh, we didn't pay for them. God gave them to us. God has given us different gifts for doing different, certain things well. All right? So we, you have some, one gift. I have another gift. My gifts, I can do things well. Your gift, you can do things well. I, there's some things I can't do well. I can't sing well. My f- family makes fun of me when they hear me sing. All right, I can't sing well. Uh, but I can do other things well. Some people can sing fantastic. Or play instruments, but you know, we, so the point is you can have this gift, you can have this talent, you can have this ability, you can do it well, but you can do it poorly or not do it at all, right? And so he's saying, do it well, use it. And then he gives some examples. First he said the ability of prophecy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. That prophecy doesn't mean predicting the future, it means proclaiming the truth. And so preachers prophesy every time they get up and speak. Teachers prophesy every time they get up and speak. Um, Teach the truth. Now most of these are things that all of us should do. But some of us are gifted to do it. So I get up here and teach. Not everybody gets up here and teaches. But all of us can share the truth. Uh, Then he gives a couple more. Serving. We're all supposed to serve. 
That's part of being a Jesus follower, serving God and others. But some people have a special gift of serving. And then if a teacher teach well, uh, I believe I have the teaching gift. The fact that you come back and hear me teach after you heard me the first time <laughs> must mean I have something that you can learn. So I got to thinking about where did this come from or how did this develop? Now, I was in high school. I was really good at science and math. I got A's in science and math. Others of you aren't very good at those subjects, right? And so my teacher would say, oh, this, this student is struggling. Would you help them? Basically, tutor them. Now, it's hard to remember back then when I was 16, but I probably did it for the money. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? They're going to pay me to teach them chemistry or algebra. Uh, that's how it started. Uh, but once you start teaching... The motivation is to see the, when it clicks, the, the light comes on in the, in the person's life that you're teaching. So when you're teaching chemistry and some, some principal in chemistry and they, the, the student gets it and then they pass the class that they were failing before. I bring joy from that, but my joy comes from, from their accomplishment, from their, from their joy. So if you're a teacher, teach well. We've got school teachers here and, 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 and all of us, whether it's in the church setting or, the, or, or in some other setting, we are to do it well. We should be the best teachers, the best employees at whatever we do. And then he gives a couple more, gift of encouraging. All of us should encourage each other, but some people have a special gift of doing that. If it's giving, we also should give. Give generously. That means above and beyond. And some people just... You know, I think of the lady in the Bible, the widow's mite, she gave her last penny to God. Most of us won't give our last penny, but people with that gift of generosity will do that. If God has given you leadership ability, take responsibility seriously. Now this word seriously literally can be translated delight. Delight in the leadership ability and responsibility God has given you. And if you have the gift of showing kindness, we all should be kind. But some people have a special gift. Others do it gladly. That word is the word we get hilarious from. Do it hilariously. <clears throat> so we could say it this way. A musician has to make music, right? You can't not do it. An artist has to make art. A builder has to build. A runner has to run. <clears throat> a writer, a poet has to write. A teacher has to teach. You know, this building thing. <laughs> uh, I've been around building all my life. <clears throat> and I remember even as a kid, I had Lincoln Logs and Legos. They actually had Legos back then. They were just green and red. They weren't nothing like today. Uh, uh, but I like to build. And when I'd go to construction sites, I'd get little pieces of wood and bring them home and build stuff and, and so forth. So eventually I got to be a carpenter for two years before I became a pastor and did laid hardwood floors. And it's kind of funny, I've been a pastor for 40 years, but I've been building things ever since. A builder has to build. The big part of this, though, is excellence, doing it with excellence. You know, a musician has to do, uh, produce music, but do it with excellence. The Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. So I am building for the Lord, even though I might be building for somebody else. So I don't know who your employer is, but your priority, your first person you're serving is God. <clears throat> now we're talking about emotion with, 
with the light, right? And there are positive emotions and negative emotions. Some of the negative emotions are good. You know, if a wild animal's chasing you, you want to run, be afraid, that's good. Now, fear in a spiritual sense is not good. But we're trying to draw on, draw on the difference. What is the difference between a positive and negative emotion? And I think it all depends on our attitudes. <clears throat> so one way we can delight in the Lord is to discern God's voice through our emotions. Now, that's a little tricky, and we'll talk about that. But I'm going to give you three biggies. They're on your outline. Three gladness, madness, and sadness. So what makes you glad? <clears throat> is it that you got the promotion and somebody else didn't get it? Ah, no, no, that's a selfish thing, right? Is it when you were able to help somebody, teachers, help somebody learn? What about mad? What makes you mad? You get mad because somebody doesn't like you, says something nasty about you? Or do you get mad because of social injustice? One of the things that makes me mad is abortion. It just ugh, makes me mad that millions of preborn children have been slaughtered and executed. Uh, it just makes me mad. For some of you, it doesn't. But for me, it does. And what makes you sad? Uh, Nehemiah, he was in the Old Testament. and He was living, he was a, a slave in, in Babylon to the king. And he was king's cupbearer. And he found out his hometown in Jerusalem, the walls had been destroyed. And, and, and if you read the account, he, he's in tears. Not for himself. He's, he's living the good life in Babylon. Uh, but he's in tears because his hometown, is, the walls, it's like a, a town without police force. It was defenseless without these walls. If you read it, eventually he gets to help build the walls. Um, but what makes you sad? We had a, we had a uh, memorial service for uh, my niece who died at 35 and, uh, yesterday. And, and I was just sad. I, uh, sad grieving for her loss, but more sad for the the lostness in the faces of the people that were here. Most of them weren't Jesus followers. Most of them didn't really have a clue what it meant to be a Jesus follower. And there's this blankness. There's, a, there's not this joy. You know, we as believers can grieve differently. We can have joy that that person's in God's presence. But these folks weren't. And just, it's still breaking my heart. So what makes you glad? What makes you sad? It makes you mad. It's not selfish. Uh, Mark Batterson in the book makes this comment. First part is pretty familiar to all of us. It's in a, in a song, I believe. Uh, Our hearts should break with the things that break God's heart. Isn't that some song? Where's the song, right? But I love what he adds to it. He says, but they should also skip a beat. And as a pastor, when somebody steps across that line, you talk about how many people accepted Jesus, at, at, you know, your heart skips a beat. My heart skips a beat, and should yours too. When we're able to hold a prom for special needs folks, our heart skips a beat. There's a thing out in, in society and culture, and, and I don't know what branch of science called emotional intelligence, EI or EQ, emotional, uh, uh, whatever Q stands for. But anyway, here's the definition for it. Ability to identify, access, and control one's own emotions, the emotions of others, and that of a group. And there's some debate about this, but some employers think this is the most important thing in hiring somebody. Uh, this is the ability to be empathetic. This ability to kind of read a room. This is what Jesus was so perfect at. To me, it's just common sense. 
Sure, we should share the truth, but sometimes it's convicting truth depending on the circumstances. Sometimes it's, a, it's, it's the truth of comfort, as it, hopefully it was yesterday. So let's get back to our verse. Take the light in the Lord. That's the focus. That should be the int- uh, <clears throat> priority. <clears throat> and then he will give you your heart's desires. Can emotions lie to you? Absolutely. In counseling, we tell couples this all the time. Oh, my spouse doesn't love me. It probably does. It's just that you're not connecting with them. And one way to test these desires is if they grow or if they get weaker. We saw the thing about the special needs prom. For some of you, by next week, you'll have forgotten that. For others of you, you won't be able to forget it. And if you don't sign up today, you'll sign up next week. That's a way to determine God-given heart's desires. <clears throat> this guy that worked for uh, Hallmark Cards would go into elementary school. We got some elementary school teachers. <clears throat> and uh, he would do a, uh, <clears throat> creativity uh, I forget, seminars, I guess you'd call them. So in first grade, Don would teach, teach first grade? No, Don teaches first grade. He comes into first grade, he says, how many of you are artists? You know how many hands went up? All of them. She's not surprised by that. All first graders are artists. By second grade, you know what it was? 50%. By fifth grade, one, two hands. Now, I love our educational system, but there's something wrong when kids lose the delight for some reason in being artistic. Now, I used to say I'm not creative, and, and God rebuked me for that. And if you don't dare ever say you're not creative if you're a Jesus follower. Because God of the universe, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And he created the universe. So you're creative. One other thing before we end. An idol is anything you desire more than God. So what's your heart desire? Is anything more than God? Jesus was <clears throat> healing people in his ministry. He came to this blind guy and he was going to heal this blind guy and he asked him a question. And to us thinking that 2,000 years later, it just seems like silly question, Jesus. And here's the question. <clears throat> what do you want me to do for you? <laughs> Duh, I'm blind. And of course he tells him, I want to see. And of course he heals him. But this is the question I want to leave with you this morning. This is kind of your homework, if you will. Jesus is asking, what do you want me to do for you? The reason that's so important is, how do you know if you get it, if you don't know what it is? What do you want me to do for you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this, the fact that you want us to delight in you and in life. Uh, Things we should be glad about, even the things that, that make us mad and sad or or desires that come from you, whether it breaks a, your heart or, or skip, skip, skip a beat. Guys, I want to pray folks f- for the folks here uh, that they would figure out uh, hearing your voice through their giftedness and for their, through their passions and their desires. And for anyone who's not a Jesus follower, that they would uh, take another step closer, if not step across that line. Uh, Because what Jesus has to offer is life, true life, a life of delight. 
a life of joy, unspeakable. God, we thank you for your presence through the Holy Spirit. It makes us <laughs> creative people. Let us celebrate that. And I pray this Thanksgiving season would be a time of true joy. That's a sign of thankfulness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.